following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday morning at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. It is the most notorious crime in all of history. It is the most infamous moment, the most infamous mistake, the most infamous mess up. And this crime duo, these partners in crime are maybe the most nefarious. I mean, you've heard of Bonnie and Clyde. You've heard of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Child's play compared to this couple. It was a husband and wife duo. You may have heard of them. They go by Adam and Eve. And there's this moment when they're in the garden and they do the unthinkable crime. They eat the forbidden fruit. Now, this happened thousands of years ago, but your church, West Pines, actually stumbled across some footage, some video footage of this moment. I I didn't even know they had video back then, but we've come across this video. Would you like me to show it? Can I show this to you? You'd like to see it? Okay. Here's actual video footage of Adam and Eve. You just named everything two days ago. All I know is that it was a snake or some reptile. A snake? Oh, I don't know. It could have been a little salamander. That's an amphibian. No, it's not about the names. It's never been about the names. We have to leave, pack our bags, and get out of here. Who packs a suitcase and fills it with nothing but fedoras? You know, you're right. I should have packed only fedoras. No clothes? I forgot to pack clothes. I was thinking maybe we could sew fig leaves together. How does that sound? Not great. But you're going to stop and ask for directions, aren't you, Adam? We are literally the only people on Earth. You know, I've always pictured it differently in my mind. That's not... Anyway, okay, so the story, Adam and Eve, it's a murder mystery, actually. And it's got all of the components that you really want in a really good mystery story. It's got suspense. It's got surprises. It's got that villain that you love to hate. It's got that moment when you're saying to the main character, don't do it, don't listen to them, run away, get out of there. It's got all those moments. And one of the most interesting things about this particular murder mystery of Adam and Eve in the garden with the forbidden fruit and the snake, one of the most interesting things is there's a twist at the end that you'd never see coming. 
There's a twist at the end that it's just, it gets you every single time. It's one of those things. It makes it such a great story. Now, most murder mysteries, it crescendos at the end when you find out who done it. It's that moment when, you, when the inspector or the investigator it reveals who committed the crime. But in this particular story, it takes you not only through the crime, there's a cover-up, then there's a getaway, then there's an investigation that you actually see the trial and then you see the sentencing. It takes you all the way through and as you go through the whole story at the very end, there's a twist in the story that you'd never see coming. We're going to do an overview. We're going to spend the next five weeks going through this and digging into it, this series. But we're going to do an overview this morning. We want to get all the way to the end so you can see the twist in the story at the end of the story, Murder in the Garden. Now, let me give you the backstory. Before we jump in, let me give you the backstory. God has taken the first two human beings, according to the story, the first two human beings on planet Earth, and he's placed them in the Garden of Eden. They're placed in the Garden. And he says, in this garden, it's just, it says it's filled with all kinds of trees, with luscious fruit. They have, they have no needs whatsoever. All, all of their needs are met. It's an incredible place of harmony. And if you're thinking garden like your backyard, think more like a region. Massive garden. There's thousands of trees. But there's two notable trees in this garden. One is called the tree of life. Then there's this other tree that's right in the middle of the garden, and it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God warns them. He says, look, you've got thousands of trees in here to eat from. Just this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat that fruit, he says this, the day you eat of it, you'll die. Now, when you hear this story, he warns them like that, and if you're reading through the story, you're like, okay, something's going to happen with that tree, okay? That's just, they mentioned that so early in the story, something's got to happen with that tree, but everything's going well, everything is in harmony, everyone's getting along. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those suspense movies, and everything's just going a little too well in the beginning, everyone's getting along, everyone loves each other, you're like, okay, something bad's about to happen. That's where we're at at the end of chapter 2, and then we turn to chapter 3, of Genesis. And here's what it says. It's going to be up here on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, now this is the moment when you're thinking, Eve, just walk away. Run away, Eve. Don't listen to him. Run away. But then there's verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here's what we have. We have the crime... We have the cover-up. You have the serpent, he comes slithering into the garden, and you see the camera zooms in, and you see the serpent, and he uh, he starts talking to Eve. Now, let's just pause right there. That's a little weird. 
It's a snake talking to a human, okay? No one has ever read this story and not thought that was weird. So, so we don't get bogged down in that detail. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, we could dialogue about this, but let's just kind of go through. There's a couple different perspectives on this snake. Some people say, look, this is a true story. For those who value the Bible and take the Bible seriously, they'd say there's two ways to look at this. One is that this is a real story. It's a truthful story. It's got a point that God wants us to hear. But the author is taking some artistic license. He's not intending for every detail of it to be taken literally. That's one perspective. Another perspective says, all right, I believe that supernatural things happen. I believe that um, you know, God is at work and there's, there's spiritual stuff that goes on. And so maybe this is some kind of spiritual miracle thing that the snake is talking. Maybe that's why I got Eve's attention, that there's a snake talking to me. Okay, either perspective, we could debate which one, but for either way, that's a, a side detail. Let's stick to the main point, you've got this snake come slithering into the garden. And it says to Eve, it says, man, did, did God really say you can't eat of any tree? He says, no, no, we can, we can eat of the tree, it's just not the one in the middle. He says, oh, I don't know why you shouldn't be able to eat of that tree. You know, he says, well, we'll, we'll die, that day we'll die. And he says, I, I don't think you'll die. No, you won't, you won't really die. I mean, you just you'll just be like God. He just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be wise like he is. That's all. That's all. You can't trust this guy. He's trying to hold you back. And she looks at the, tr- at the fruit, and it's glistening. It's tantalizing. And she plucks it, and she eats it. And then all of a sudden, the first surprise of the story, the camera angle, which is zoomed in on Eve and the serpent, it zooms out, and you realize Adam was standing there the whole time. He was listening. He was watching. He was getting drawn in by the serpent. She hands him the apple, and he takes a bite. Now, I want you to notice something that the serpent says. The serpent says, you won't really die. You think of what's at stake here. I mean, this is pretty, I mean, this is pretty large stakes. I mean, death is the risk. Do I believe God or do I believe the serpent? He's saying, this is death is what God has told him, and they're risking that. It's high stakes for this decision. But also, think about this for a second. Think of what that's saying about the current state of humanity. What that's saying is death is a foreign thing to them at that point. This tells us something about Eden. In fact, the name Eden means something like luxurious bliss. I mean, this was a paradise. This was perfect. This was, it was all harmony. There was no pain. There was no hurt. It was a wonderland. Okay, I want you to imagine a perfect place with me, a perfect world. Just imagine with me. It's a place where the Miami Heat have no injuries. They beat the Cavaliers in four games, okay? Humiliate them in the playoffs, okay? Magical land, okay? It's a land where you open a bag of potato chips and it's actually filled to the top. There's not seven chips in the bottom, it's filled to the top. It's a world where you don't accidentally eat a ham sandwich made with Miracle Whip on it. It's only mayonnaise in this world, okay? Not some sweet-tasting mayonnaise that tastes like it's been out for three weeks. Only mayonnaise. There's no Miracle Whip. Nothing bad. There's, you, you, there's no splinters or mosquitoes or Brussels sprouts. There's no country music. There's nothing that... There's nothing bad, okay? I, it's just when it's on the rim, I just have to push it in, okay? I'm sorry. I'm not mature enough to pass that up, okay? All right. Let's just focus, people. Let's try and focus at the task at hand. This is a wonderful world. It's all good, nothing bad in it, okay? And that's what's happened. That's what's at stake. They take the fruit and eat it, and then they cover their shame. 
All right, let's see what happens next, because what happens next is the getaway and the investigation. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman, the woman you gave, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, It was the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now this is the, the, the trial, this is the investigation before the trial. And he's asking questions, he's asking questions, and they're, they're blame shifting. They don't want to take credit for it. This is one of the habits that we sometimes have that leads us into big, big mess-ups. We cover over our sin, we blame shift, we don't take ownership of it, and it divides our relationships. This is one of the things we're going to be digging into over the next couple weeks. But they're, they're taught, God, is, God is walking through the garden, it shows us that God was walked with them tangibly. We don't understand what that would be like, but he walked with them tangibly in the garden at that time, but they hid from him. Now, I want you to think about this. They're playing hide-and-seek with God. He usually wins that one, okay? All right, our, Rebecca and I, my wife and I, our daughter is about uh, one and a half, and um, she runs everywhere, and so sometimes she'll come running into the room, which is in and of itself a hysterical thing to watch because her arms have no rhythm when she runs and they're just going like this, okay? So she comes crinkling in in her diaper and she'll look at us and then sometimes she'll take a blanket and she'll throw it over her head and she'll start laughing underneath the blanket and we know what we're supposed to do at this point. We're like, where's Scarlet? Where did she go? I don't see Scarlet. She's nowhere to be seen because in her mind, she's invisible, okay? To put your mind at ease, we haven't actually lost our daughter we know where she is. I mean, can you imagine if she came in, she's laughing under there, and I just say, Scarlett, the absurdity of your actions confounds me. Okay? It is asinine that you think that that outline of a toddler, that you don't think I actually know it's my daughter. Okay? I would never actually say that. I want you to imagine Adam and Eve are hiding from God. You can't hide from God. There's no tree that's bushy enough for them to go behind. He's not going to see us here, okay? You can't hide from God. He, he is going to find them, okay? He finds them. And what happens next is the trial. Now, I wish we had time to go through the entire trial. We don't have time to, to look through the entire trial. But basically, here's what God says. He says, because of your actions, he basically says, it's like Pandora's box is open. It's like literally all hell is going to break loose. And he says, because you're Adam and Eve, I've placed you over the planet and because you decided to rebel against God. He basically says, everything has changed now. Now look, at, you can already see there's brokenness in the relationship between Adam and Eve. They're blaming each other for stuff. Already the first time there's disunity and disharmony in their marriage for the first time ever. There's brokenness that they're going to have to work through. But it's more than just relational brokenness. It says even their bodies will be affected. They'll feel pain for the first time. They'll feel hurt. There's, and there's now even the animal kingdom is affected. It says even the ground is affected. Now there's natural disasters that happens. Now there's hardships and difficulties. He says, man, all of this has happened as a result of, of what the decision that you made. 
But there's one thing in the midst of the trial, during that trial, there's one thing that he says to the serpent in particular. And it's a really interesting phrase. I want you to check it out. It's going to be up here on the screen. Look at this verse. He says, he says this to the snake. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, I want you to read this underlined part with me. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This interesting phrase right in the middle of the trial where he's warning the snake, the serpent, the evil one of something that's going to happen. He's saying an offspring, a descendant of Adam and Eve is going to go to war with you. This all takes place during the trial. And then we get to the last part, which is the sentencing. I want to go to verse, jump down to verse 21. Let me read this. This is what happens. And this is where we see, this is the end of the story. And here's where the twist is. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now wait a minute. I thought God said that the punishment would be, would be death. That day you die. I mean, this says that the punishment became banishment. Kicks him out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, that would have been pretty tr- traumatic. Can you imagine this? I mean, you, Adam and Eve have to be the most tragic figures in history. Think about this. They had a taste of what it was like when everything was perfect. And now they're living in a, a world where there is death. Did you notice what happened? God says, okay, now we need to send them out of the garden lest they take the fruit from the tree of life, which they didn't need prior to. But now if they took it, they would live forever. And God sends them out of the garden. He banishes them. Now, wait a minute. Is God changing his design for humanity? Does he no longer want humanity to live forever? Well, no, this is actually an act of mercy. Because if they were to live forever now in their current state with all the hurt and all the brokenness and all the pain, that wouldn't be a blessing. So as an act of mercy, he not only does not They're not executed on the spot. As an act of mercy, he now sends them out of the garden. And imagine for the rest of their lives, they had a taste of what it was like when everything was perfect. And every time there's an argument, they see signs of selfishness or pride or arrogance in each other. For the rest of their lives, they're reminded of what they lost. I I wonder if their kids would catch Adam and Eve down the road and, and years later, they would just catch one of them just kind of staring off into space, remembering what it once was like when there was when all harmony in the earth. And there was no pain, there was no death, there was no sickness. I wonder what that would have been like. But every single day, there's a thousand things that remind them. There's 10,000 things every single day that reminds them that they've had to leave the garden. So what's interesting is the mystery of this story. It is a mystery. But the mystery is not who the culprit is. We know who the villains are. And in the course of the trial, God holds every one of them, he holds them accountable. The serpent, Eve, and Adam, he holds them all accountable. But here's the mystery. Who's the victim? That's the mystery in this story. That's what makes it such an intriguing mystery. Who's actually the victim? Well, it kind of sounds like it's Adam and Eve. I mean, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, aren't they? Now they live in this broken world. I mean, aren't they the victim? Well, it's kind of hard to say that they're the innocent victim because they're also the culprits. They brought it on themselves. 
well, maybe, you know what, I know who it is. Maybe we're the victim. What's in a twist in the story is that we all make an appearance in the story because now we all live in the world that Adam and Eve inherited. Now we all live in a world where there's hurt. We, we, we're the world that's natural to us, that was unnatural to Adam and Eve, is natural to us. So a world where there's hurt and there's pain and there's sorrow and a world where death is a part of this existence. So maybe we're the victims. But you know, it's hard to say that we're the innocent victims as well because we repeat the same cycle that they do. We're also the culprits. In our, each of our lives, there's a, a dangling piece of fruit that's just so tantalizing. And we know what God said, but I don't know. Maybe God's trying to just hold me back. I just want to have this one thing, and I can't take it. And I, I write, well, it's all right. I'll, I'm just going to take this. It's not really that bad. And so we, we pluck the fruit in, in every different way, on every different level. We've all repeated the same cycle. So we're not the victim either. We're also the culprit. We've repeated the same thing. So who's the victim? And what happened with God not executing them on the day? Well, there's an interesting twist in this story. Did you notice what God did to Adam and Eve right before he banished them out and sent them out of the garden? He clothed them with skins. So there was a death that day. Adam and Eve are standing there, and before he sends them out, there's an animal that died instead of them. And he put those skins to cover their shame. There was a sacrifice that died in their place. Why would God do that? Well, it goes back to that intriguing thing that God said to the snake. He said to the, to the serpent, to the evil one, he says, you just need to know that one day there will be a descendant from these two who's going to show up to do war with you. And he says this, he says, you might bite his heel, you'll wound him, but he will crush you. And thousands of years later, there was a descendant of Adam and Eve. His name was Jesus Christ. He wasn't just merely a man. He was actually God showing up on earth in the flesh. And he was innocent, but he allowed himself to be murdered on a cross. And they took his murdered body and they buried his murdered body in a tomb in a garden. And on the third day, he rose again in a garden. He died. He, God himself, here's the twist in the story. He let himself be the innocent victim He let himself serve their sentence. They should have died. They should have died for what they did. But he said, one day I will come into humanity. I will come and I will die for you. And I'll be murdered and buried once again in a garden. And I'll come back to life in a garden. Why? Because I'm doing that to pay for the sins, not just of Adam and Eve, but of us as well. As we repeat the same cycle, as we disobey God, do you know what we deserve? We deserve an eternity away from God because of the sins that each one of us have done. But God said, I'll be the victim, the innocent victim. I will serve the sentence. And he was murdered on a cross, buried in the garden, and rose again on the third day, saying, death will be no more. Let me just ask you to do me a favor this morning. Can we just step out of church mode for a second? Here's what I mean by church mode. 
Church mode is it's a, it's a busy holiday weekend. We've got, you know, an egg hunt later this afternoon, and we've got family stuff we're going to, or, or it's just all this busyness. And so we're, it's all the craziness. Then we come to church. We kind of leave all that craziness outside. We're like, okay, let's do the church thing. All right, got it. And then get back to reality and go out the door. Or maybe church mode is it's like, okay, I, I, I'm not really a church person. I'm not a spiritual person, but I'm here because, um, you know, my spouse wanted me to be here or my, my family's here. It's just what we do. And so I'm here and like, okay, let's just do the church thing. I can check that off. And then I, I leave all my realities outside, all the things I'm struggling with, the relationships I'm struggling with. I leave that at the door. I, I leave the, the major questions I have, the, the, the questions about my job, my career, I leave those outside. And I'm just coming here. Let's just do the church thing and then we'll go. Or maybe it's like, I, I, I'm, I come to church every now and then. I try to do the best I can to do the religious thing, so I'm kind of going through the motions, but then I'm going to get back to my life because I've got things I've got to address. But can we just take all those realities? Can you do me a favor? Can we bring all of those realities into this room for a second and be real humans? Because all of those questions, do you, do you know what they are? So you might be here saying here, you might be like, look, I, I hear what you're saying. That's a nice story, but... All this eternity stuff and living forever and going to heaven when I die, I hear you, but man, I I don't know. I just don't know that I need to think about that right now. I'll think about that later. I'm just not even sure what I believe about that, but can we just pause for a second and take all those realities we left outside and bring them in the room? Because you know what those are? Those are a thousand reasons every day as to why this is not what we were made for. It's 10,000 things that hit us every day And it's the actual longing we have for the place that God made us for. It's to live forever in eternity with him. And he bought that for you. Jesus was the substitute. He was the sacrifice. It's it's pictured in the animal that died for Adam and Eve and then covered their shame. It's the same picture that would happen for all eternity. Jesus died on the cross. He's serving the sentence, paying for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. And God is offering that to you. Your sentence has been served. You just have to accept it. Maybe this morning you're, you're at a place in, in that story. Maybe this morning for you, you're in the middle of the crime. Man, if you knew the things I was doing, you know that God doesn't even want to have anything to do with me. I, if you knew what I, I was in here, you, you wouldn't even want me in here. Well, that's, that's absolutely wrong. None of us are worthy to be before God but he loves us anyway. And he's just simply saying, look, I, I know you're the culprit, but I'm wanting you to turn away from that because I don't want you to also be the victim. I don't want you to bring all the hurt on you from the way that you're going. He's saying, turn the other way. Come and follow me. Maybe you're not in the crime. Maybe you're in the cover-up. And here's my concern is if you're in the cover-up, you might actually believe your cover-up story. Man, the things that I'm doing, it's all right. God's good with the things I'm doing. He, he understands. Or I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Or I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You know? I, or, or maybe the, the cover-up story is this. You know, I, I've got a pretty decent life. I don't really know why I need God. I mean, I've I got a good thing going. I'm living my life. Why, I, I, you know, God's there, and if I need him, I, you know, I know where he is. But can I remind you, you're not the judge or the jury. Your story doesn't matter. It's what God thinks is what matters. It's what God says that's what matters. And he's saying every single one of us needs Jesus. He says every one of us is guilty, but he'll put our guilt on Jesus instead. 
Maybe right now you're in the getaway. And you're saying, look, I'm running from God. There's just, I've got some unanswered questions with God or God doesn't want to be around me. I'm running from God. I can't face him. I can't, it's hard for me to be around other Christians. I'm, I'm running from God. Well, remember, playing hide and go seek with God, God always wins that one. And this morning, he found you. And here's what he's saying. I love you. I accept you right where you're at. And he's saying, all of your sins have been paid for. There's no punishment left for you when all went on Jesus. Now follow me and stop hiding, stop running. Follow after me. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and let's, just, let's just be here in this moment with God. This morning, do you just simply need to say to God, God, I believe that Jesus came. I believe it was you in the flesh, God. And you died on the cross serving my sentence. But you rose again from the dead and I believe, Jesus, you rose from the dead finish paying, finishing my sentence. It's paid for. I believe this life is no longer about what I do, trying to be good, trying to please you, trying to be religious. It's simply about what you did on the cross to pay for my sins. Maybe today you just need to accept that gift of forgiveness. Is that you? Do you feel him pulling on your heart saying, I found you. Today, draw the line in the sand once and for all and say, God, I accept your forgiveness. Is that you? I want to give you the opportunity to accept that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? With everyone just taking a quiet moment between you and God, I just want to ask you this question. Is that you? Are you ready to draw the line in the sand and make that decision? If that's you, I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you to take a bold step this morning. And if you're making that decision, you're accepting Christ, you say, I want to be saved today. I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up in the air and put it back down? I see it. I'll give you a minute. You're saying, I need to accept that. I need to be saved this morning. I want to receive the forgiveness. Is that you this morning? Just slip your hand up and put it down. I see it. I see it. If that was you, I want to just pray with you. Can you make this prayer your own between you and God? Pray these, pray these words between you and God. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you for defeating death and rising again from the dead. Thank you for saving me for eternity and giving me heaven. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.